Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Christ. Christ. Wow, it's great to be here. I just need to take a moment. I love this place so much. A lot of familiar faces. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I, I'm Jonas Ellison. I'm a seminarian at Wartburg Theological Seminary. Uh, though the campus is across the river, I'm not sure which way, that way, across the river in Dubuque, Iowa, I live with my wife, Alex, and daughter, Rory, in the Las Sierras of rural Northern California, about an hour north of Lake Tahoe. We unexpectedly moved there from here during uh, the first summer of COVID, if y'all remember that, um, so we could be closer to the family and have access to the great outdoors. Um, it was supposed to be a two-week getaway uh, from the city during lockdown, and we had no plan on, on moving, but God had other plans for us. We ended up buying a house there, and now, as far as I can tell, we are there to stay. Um, but Holy Trinity is my home church, and I miss this place deeply. Uh, this is where I became a Lutheran. See, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. Has anyone heard of the Roman Catholic <laughs> Church? It's a little movement. Uh, when I was younger, I really, I really loved it. I loved going to church. I loved the physicality and the sensorial nature of Mass. I had a very tumultuous childhood, like maybe you did as well, I'm not sure. Um, but when I walked into the nave or the, you know, into the church, uh, first of all, the verticality of the space took whatever pressure and angst um, I had sitting on my chest, it took it up and away from me. 
The smell of the burning candles and the incense anchored me in the feeling tone of love. Yes, I got a little sleepy during the sermons, but the reverence of the Roman Catholic Church had a cleansing effect on me. And then I got older. My mom, who was my tie to the Roman Catholic Church, died when I was 16 from cancer. I grew more skeptical about religion, and eventually I ended up seeing Christianity as a dangerous and useless relic. I floated for a while and then became more spiritual rather than religious for a couple of decades. And then in a very roundabout way, I learned about the Lutheran Church, particularly the ELCA. It sounded intriguing, so I decided to convince my wife, Alex, to come with me for a visit. Rory had no choice, she had to come. <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday, it was a beautiful spring morning as we walked up Magnolia Avenue. We heard the famed organ and the joyful singing bursting through the stained glass windows. When we entered the building, it was bustling. It wasn't like mega church level uh, overwhelming, but it was lively, which I didn't expect. And that's when it happened. Okay, uh, this is kind of a risk, but has anybody seen the movie Ratatouille, the Disney movie Ratatouille? I'm gonna judge my audience. Okay, some of you? Okay, okay, up there. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorites. But for a refresher or whatever, it's about Remy, this little rat who follows his dream to become a chef in France. And in the movie, Remy has his big break at one of Paris's top restaurants. But he has to cook a meal for the harsh, terrifying food critic, Anton Ego. Ego's voice is spectacularly uh, played by the late, great Peter O'Toole. Um, just wonderful. Remy decides to serve Ego ratatouille. Has anyone had ratatouille before? Yeah, pretty simple dish, right? Um, but Remy puts his heart and his soul, this is his life's masterpiece, right? Puts his heart and soul into it. And as soon as it hits Ego's tongue, it takes him straight back to his childhood dining room table where his mother serves him ratatouille, though a much less refined version of ratatouille. Ego is rendered speechless in the transformation this dish performs on him. He ecstatically drops his pen like a warrior dropping his sword and enjoys the rest of the meal with his eyes closed. That happened to me here, basically. The smells, the sounds, the vestments, the icons. I was back in the church of my childhood, but it was totally new. It had new life breathed into it. It satiated my nostalgia for traditional liturgy while giving me an expansive theology. The old hymns made my wife Alex cry, so thank you. David for that, uh, and everyone else. The gospel procession, I had never seen a gospel procession like that before, where, you know, this situation in the middle of the sanctuary with the candles and everything. I was blown away. And then the sermon. Craig was preaching that day, and I don't remember the details, but here's what got me. 
What I heard was a message that addressed the bruising in my soul that I had grown unaware of. There was no attempt to spiritually bypass the harsh reality of the human situation as I did so much in my previous chapter in secular spirituality. In that sermon, my pain was addressed, but I wasn't left there. In that sermon, Jesus came to life in the midst of the pain and brought new life to it. I forget what the closing hymn was, but I walked out of this very building a Lutheran that day, and now I'm less than a year, God willing, from being ordained in word and sacrament ministry in the ELCA. I have a lot to thank you for, Holy Trinity. Along with everything else, I am grateful for three, the three endowment fund grants that I've received here to help with the expenses of seminary and dampen the blow for our single income family. Thank you, Alex. I know you're watching somewhere. And uh, Rory, if you're still up, um, if you're not still asleep. Um, now, I know this has been more of a homecoming ode to Holy Trinity rather than a sermon so far, but we're not done yet. I want to touch on St. Paul's letter to Philemon because I think it taps into the same bass note that you at Holy Trinity tap into so well. The words that stand out to me from this passage, this book, we read a whole book of the Bible today, so great job, we're doing it. Um, but the, the passage that, st I miss the sirens. I miss those sirens. <laughs> um, the passage, the line that stands out to me is, on the basis of love. See, Philemon is a Christian friend of Paul's. Philemon enslaved someone named Onesimus. Onesimus ran away from his situation and started helping Paul with his ministry. Now, according to law, Philemon has every right to punish Onesimus for doing this. And Paul tells him that he wouldn't blame Philemon for doing so. Now, before I go any further, this letter has been used over the centuries as a justification for slavery. I want to say from this pulpit that I, as a Christian, renounce the devil's motives in doing this. It is an utter blasphemy to use God's word to harm any sibling in Christ. For one, yes, being a slave in first century Rome was awful, I'm sure. But it was not the same thing as chattel slavery in this country. Owning people as non-human property is a far more sinister phenomenon than what was going on in first century Rome, where, as awful as it was, people would often volunteer to temporarily enter slavery in order to pay off debts, etc. So, um, it was not based on, it also was not based on ethnicity, like uh, slavery was used here in the U.S. But even in this case, right, even in this case, Paul does not give a big thumbs up to even this form of first century Roman slavery. He doesn't demand that Onesimus go back to being enslaved. Yes, he admits that it is legal, and it is at the time. But he appeals to Philemon 
not on the basis of law, but on the basis of love. On the basis of love in light of the new covenant in Jesus, could you, Philemon, find it in your heart to turn Onesimus from a useless slave into a fruitful sibling in Christ? Could you, Philemon, allow Onesimus's lawful punishment to be absorbed by the one who died for the whole world on the cross? Could you, Philemon, allow your false self to die with Jesus on the cross and then allow Christ's resurrection to usher in a new resurrection for you? Could you, Philemon, allow it to bring a new relationship between you and your fellow human. Paul isn't commanding that Philemon do this. He wants Philemon to free Onesimus voluntarily. See, if this happens, if Philemon frees Onesimus out of this appeal to love, Paul knows that it isn't just Onesimus who will be set free. It's Philemon, who will also be set free. For the chains of slavery are attached to both parties, enslaver and enslaved. As the rest of the story goes, Philemon frees Onesimus, and Onesimus eventually becomes the bishop of Ephesus, following Timothy. Now, the story doesn't totally end on a happy note. Onesimus is eventually martyred, by stoning or beheading, depending on what research you go by, but he died with his dignity intact and in service to his fellow people as a messenger of Christ. So I'll leave you with this. In Jesus, God only deals with you one way, and that is on the basis of love, not on law, not on what you deserve or don't deserve, just straight up boundless love. It is this kind of love that can be found right here within the walls of Holy Trinity. And it is on the basis of this love that you have been set free. Amen.